Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Who's ready for some preaching? Ready? Want to do it? Okay. Let me grab my Bible and my notes. Throw a hand up if you need a copy of God's Word, and we've got some volunteers that are going to Grab Bibles and pass them out real quick. Turn to John chapter 8, if you know where that is. If you don't know where that is, it's page 890 in the hardbacks that we're passing out. My computer was giving me drama, so I'm going to do my best to preach off of a Google Doc this morning, and we'll see how things go. Now, real quick, I wanted to save this and put this at the very beginning of the sermon, even though it's not directly related. So I want to make sure everybody at home got a chance to tune in to understand what's going on right now. Who, I want to do a quick database check. Who got the email from me Thursday saying, hey, we're still going to meet? So a goodly amount, but not everybody. So that was a very brief email and I'll, uh, please humor me for a moment while I try to explain a little bit more. Some of this you guys have already heard from me a few months back. No matter what the topic of the day, it has been normal Christian experience. Actually, not just Christian experience, even before Christ. The people of God have very regularly been in positions where the world has its conflicts and its opinions and its fights, and the people of God, because we are people of the book, we don't always necessarily pick a side. Sometimes in following God, you find yourself choosing a third path. Does that make sense? The world, especially with modern media, makes, loves to make everything, well, it's this or it's that. I, I've, been, I've been, you know, poking fun online at people before, you know, these arguments of, if you don't agree with me on X, Y, Z, then you don't even believe in science. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'm gonna tell all the Christians out there that have you know, PhDs in biology that disagreed with you about evolution, I'm gonna tell them they don't believe in science, right? You know, the, these hyper-extreme ways of communicating, typifying your opponent, one, they're not really based in reality, they give no opportunity for nuanced positions, right? Christians, because we follow Jesus, there's always a third way. There's often, every great once in a while, even, even in the Gospels, uh, you'll see the two big, um, head, big, big rabbis of the day um, had two big schools of theological thought, and oftentimes when the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question, they're asking him to pick a team. And, and sometimes he does side with one of them and say, yes, he's right, or, or he's right. But sometimes he says, you guys are asking the wrong question. Sometimes he says there's a third way because God's way was always supposed to be the first way, right? Whatever God says, that's what it, to be sovereign, to love us more than we love ourselves. And here's the deal about coronavirus. Number one, none of us are scientists. Number two, truth has been weaponized in our culture to make it harder and harder to trust who's telling us what because we always feel like maybe there's a political motivation. 
So even if I'm inclined this way or I'm inclined that way, I just don't always know who to trust. I've been that way, frankly, I've been that this whole time about coronavirus, I've not known who to trust. I've not known. I think I was just as scared as anybody at the very beginning. It sounded like half the world was gonna die, you know, all of that stuff. But at some point, you have to look and go, there are different types of chaos in our culture that are making it hard for everyday citizens to know what we're supposed to do or not do. It's just hard. And so when things are just tough and it's hard, you don't know who to believe, it's critical that those of us who call ourselves Christians, that we dole out grace and we dole it out in spades. This whole, you don't wear a mask so you clearly don't believe in science and you must hate everybody around you, that's not helpful. Oh, you're wearing a mask, you must be totally overcome with fear and you believe the man, you know. These extremes are not helpful and they are not gracious and ultimately the extremes, I guess what I'm trying to say, are not Christ-like. And it doesn't mean that there's not a truth out there. There's an absolute truth that at this point I think Jesus is the only one who knows every single detail about coronavirus. I think he might be the only one at this point. This is very, very difficult. And what's more is pastors all over the world have been forced to decide, some pastors have been dealing with government stuff long before, you know, 2,000 years of government interference. Pastors are having to think through and pray through and search the scriptures and say, are the spiritual leaders over church families, are we commanded by God's authority to gather the people, the ecclesia, the local church, lowercase c, Ecclesia literally means gathering. Like, that's what we are. We are a gathering of the redeemed. Do we have responsibility to do this directly from God, and is that a separate submission to God from submitting to governing authorities, Romans 13, right, that are God-given to keep us safe, right? How do you know which submission you're gonna choose when everyone's fighting over the facts? So... I'll I'll give you my two cents. This is where I am at. I'm not gonna speak for all of the elders. The the elders did agree that we're gonna continue to gather. Uh, I'm gonna talk to you in a second about masks. My two cents. I literally just preached, Conrad and I preached a sermon series this spring about what the body of Christ is and I am personally at a loss on how to get people in relationships that are Christ-honoring, chasing-after-holiness relationships through Zoom Bible studies unless and until everyone stops being tired of Zoom. I personally don't know how to do it. If everybody would get in a disciple group that was online and would stay committed to it, I could be at peace with that. But that's not what we experienced this summer. I want people in healthy relationship living out the one another's and I want it desperately because that's what the church is. I want those groups even more than I want the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gathering, you could hide if you really want to. We're not gonna sit here and confess sin and wrestle against the darkness in our lives. We're not gonna do that here. (laughs) And so I I say all that to share my own torment, 
But as it relates to gathering right now, um, to be concerned on one end, are we not submitting to the authority of God who has told us who we are and what we are and what essential Christian behavior looks like? That's one concern. Am I ultimately dishonoring God by disrespecting, disobeying the governing authority that he sovereignly put in place when it feels like these things are in contradiction? God, I don't want to dishonor you, right? Do you guys see, this is honoring God or this is honoring God? God is on both sides of the equation because he put our authorities over us. So to choose essentially what is civil disobedience, which is what we've chosen by being in the room this morning, I want you to know that this is a decision that gives all of your elders tremendous pause. There is no, there is not a drop. There is a not a drop of forget you, Governor Newsom. That is not in the spirit of your elders at all. I want you to know that. Okay? And although you might go there politically, if that's your leaning, as men of the book who are shepherding the flock, it is not our place to say God screwed up in allowing a certain person to win an election. That's just not our place. It is our place to open the Bible and go, Lord, I'm really tormented of all these things that I can't really lead the flock to obey right now. What do I do? And so the reason that the email said that, yes, we are gonna gather even in civil disobedience and we're gonna encourage the wearing of masks, which I'm not wearing mine because I'm not within six feet of anybody, but um, we're gonna encourage this so long as we're in the purple tier. And the reason we're gonna encourage it is not just that it's probably a good health safety protocol, um, the elders discussed the symbolism, the outward visible symbol that it is to say, we know we are choosing civil disobedience, but we are not trying to take on a rebellious spirit. Like I said, it's hard. It's darn near impossible, okay? And especially as it relates to kids, you try to put one of these things on Gabriel, <laughs> yeah, right, um, if your child, niece, nephew, grandchild is older and they're willing to wear one, you know, we just want to encourage it. Um, again, I'm not a scientist. I have no idea what works and what doesn't work. I have no clue. I don't. But I do know that I want Citrus Heights to see us as a people that is faithful to our God and respectful to our governing authorities. And it has never been harder to be seen as both. We're fighting for an identity in our culture that is darn near impossible to find. We submit to our Father and we submit to governing authorities as best as we can. Okay? So enough of that. Now I'm gonna preach off of an iPhone and hope it works. Page 890, you guys with me? John 8, starting at verse 30. First, let's talk about fleas in a jar because that's where every good sermon starts. If we have jar fleas. Rock on. We have fleas in a jar. All right, important question. Some of you guys already know the answer. You've heard about this before. When you put fleas in a jar with no lid, are fleas free? Hmm? 
I have one vote for yes. Do they look free? They can jump right out. Are they free? Some of you know where this is going. If you put a lid on that jar for a couple of days so that the fleas, when they jump, they hit their head and they go, this isn't very fun, they will learn to jump a shorter distance so they don't hit their head and they're not in pain anymore. And so they jump just a few inches, making sure they don't hit their head. But what is tragic for the flea, in fact, fatal, is that the flea does not realize if you then remove the lid from the jar, the flea will never, ever go back to its previous jumping capacity. It has the physical ability to easily get out of that jar, but it has been reprogrammed. It will never jump the full height of the jar ever again, and it will stay in that jar, and it will starve to death. So let me ask you again. If you have a flea in a jar and there is no lid, is it free? Depends, huh? If you put in a wild flea, yes, it's free. It knows that there's no lid. It's gonna jump to the fullness of its capacity. But if you put a flea in there that's been conditioned, that flea is not free. And Jesus is trying to convince, and he has been for really since Moses saw the unburning bush. Well, no, since Genesis, just Genesis 3. God has been trying to convince us that because of our rebellion against him, we are in an unseen slavery. We cannot see the lid, and yet we obey it. And how crazy would it be to stay in a place where you are going to die, you have the power to get out, but you just will not participate. I can't see, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not a slave. How on earth would you ever get the chains off your wrists if you sat there chained and said, I'm not a slave, I'm not a slave, I'm not a slave. No, I'm fine, I'm free, I'm free. I, uh, Wednesday, in piecing some of these thoughts together, I looked up the Monty Python scene of the Black Knight because I wanted to just illustrate how ludicrous it is to have your reality be something else, and then there was swearing, and I said, okay, I can't show that clip, dagnabbit. So, but we got fleas, so who needs Monty Python when you have fleas? So, let's read, oh yeah, our series title, if you're new, is Divided, Crowded, Undivided Savior. This section of John is showing us over and over the crowd around Jesus is having to make up their minds as to who he is based off of his own claims. Is he Messiah? Is he the prophet from Deuteronomy? What, what is he? Is he a liar? Is he a fraud? What is he? And to, today's sermon is entitled Real Disciples. I know how to spell, I promise. There's supposed to be an S at the end of that. Real disciples are free. Real disciples are free. Now read with me at verse 30. Some of you guys' Bibles have page breaks between 30 and 31, and that's ludicrous. You'll see why in a second, just by the grammar. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said, we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father who love to do the evil things he does. He has, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Oh boy, goodness gracious. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, you have no, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Big claim, yes. Big exclusive claim, oh my goodness. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? So are you seeing the disconnect here? Did Jesus say that you'll never physically die because you're one of his disciples? So he's talking about spiritual things, something that from his perfect perspective as God is ultimate, much, much bigger to not spiritually die much bigger. An eternity in heaven with God is at stake here, and you're just talking about your physical body, right? So I, I say it over and over again. Jesus is playing chess, and we're down here fighting over the red and the black checkers, okay? 53, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the... Pro Isn't that funny? They think that's rhetorical. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Like, there's no way you're possibly greater than Abraham, Right? Anyway. He died and so did the prophets. By the way, Jesus disagrees with that statement because he's talking about spiritual death. Abraham did not spiritually die, neither did the prophets. They loved God and they were ushered into the presence of God when they died. Who do you think you are? I'm glad you asked, Jesus said. No, sorry, that's Greg, Greg's standard version. Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say, he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. 
but I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? So you see the lack of facts. When we're in, when we're in a state of rage, we don't get the details correct. Okay? He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, I'm old enough that I saw Abraham, although that's true. He said Abraham looked forward by faith. Hebrews 11 helps us a lot with this. Well, all of Hebrews, really. Abraham, because he had faith, he could look forward to God saving his people, redeeming his people through Messiah. He could see it. He could feel it. He could sense it. He didn't know the details, but he trusted God. That's a sermon unto itself, right? I don't need to know the details. My God said he's got it. Abraham, 1,600 years before Jesus was born, saw that God was gonna deliver his people and he was glad. That's what Jesus said. And they've already flipped it. You've seen Abraham? He doesn't even correct their specific, he goes now to the 30,000 foot level. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, Ready for it? I am. Where are my grammar teachers at? Where are my English, where are my grammar Nazis? Huh? My hands raised. Drive my family crazy. Let's criticize Jesus' grammar for a moment. Never critique his theology. But let's talk about grammar. I tell you the truth, present tense, I'm talking to you right now, Before Abraham was even born, past tense, what does he say? I am. Now, we're reading it in English as if it's present tense, and that's not inaccurate, but it is a tenseless name. The I am of Exodus 3, the name that Yahweh gave to Moses, this is the name to take to Pharaoh, is I have always been, I am now in every sense, and I will always be. It is tenseless. And only an eternal being could say it without lying. You and I could never say it. That's why those silly preachers and those silly books out there asking you to to take your I am's really seriously, there should be a new book called No, You're Not. Actually, we already have a book called No, You're Not. In fact, if you have to be the hero, this is going to go really bad because if you die on a cross, it's not even going to pay for your sins, let alone mine. No, you're not. And that's the greatest news in the whole world. Not only can you not save you, you don't have to save you. It wouldn't work. Jesus saved you. Before Abraham was even born, I am And I keep saying this, but it's important because these are the schools that we were raised in, especially if you went to state school. You heard a bunch of nonsense about how Christianity was made up by the disciples or perhaps it was made up at the Council of Nicaea 300 years after the fact. And I am going to submit to you a piece of evidence today that is right here in the text. For those of you that heard at state school, Jesus never claimed to be God. I want you to see what his opponents, how they respond to what he just said. 
You want to take the Greek and you want to twist it this way and that and go, oh, Jesus meant to say, what he was saying was this. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. This isn't the first time. It won't be the last. The Bible students know exactly what he just said and responded, not even going through They're in so much rage they wouldn't even go through a fake trial. They're going to risk their punishment with Rome by performing an execution right now on the spot. Blind with rage. How can you say that you are the great I am? Okay. Note takers, if you're a more visual or kinesthetic learner, grab your pen, first blank. Jesus tells us we are in spiritual slavery because he loves us and he wants us to choose freedom. Amen? You don't talk about somebody's state of slavery for kicks and giggles. You tell them because you love them. You don't want them to be a slave. And if you know that they already are, You're going to talk to them about it if there's something in their decision-making that could change their state, their status. Let's spend just a moment thinking through the implication of what it is Jesus is really saying. A couple of these have blanks in them as well. Slavery silences your voice, right? Your opinion doesn't matter. Slavery assaults your dignity, It assaults your dignity. You're not a human being created equally in the image of God as the human being who owns you. The image of God has been assaulted in you. Slavery kills your dreams. Isn't it nice? We don't think about it often because it's assumed. We get to dream about what we want to do tomorrow, what we'd like to do five years from now, what we'd like to do ten years from now. We get to dream. A slave doesn't get to dream. There's no point. Or just take those ideas and shove them firmly into the realm of fantasy and you're, now you're disassociating and you're losing your mind. Slavery crushes your will. It crushes the will. You're always going to be fighting inside yourself. Can I get out? Can I escape? And the more you're convinced that you will not be able to escape, the more there's no reason anymore to even inside your own heart think about your desires anymore. The will is totally crushed. Some have spent a lot of energy asking, why on earth would God put Adam and Eve in a garden and give them free will and a tree that they're not allowed to eat from when he knows what they're gonna do and the humanity's gonna make other choices Because God loves you and he doesn't want slaves. He did not want a creation that didn't have a will because you have to have a will in order to love. Only with a will can I choose God or not choose God. And he had every right to say, I'm going to create a family that has willingly chosen me. He has every right. We might not like it, but he has every right. Jesus wants you to be free. Do you know that? Let's imagine these birds, they were in that cage. They got trapped. I 
just ripped off my microphone. If you trapped these birds overnight and they were in there for a day and you looked at them and you thought that they were pretty and you looked at them for a little while, you never had any intention of keeping them forever. And at the end of the day, you say, okay, I've enjoyed these birds enough. I'm going to let them out. Did they get conditioned like the fleas? Did they, learn, did they lose their ability to fly? No. Yeah, it was just a few hours. They sang a few songs. Maybe they were agitated. Maybe you fed them something yummy. What must it feel like to fly away? What must it feel like to fly away if you never had hope? If you gave up hope? Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. And the biggest thing in our text today, the biggest thing that was stopping us from freedom is that we refused to admit we were slaves. Even if we in this text had joyfully responded and said, yes, Jesus, we are slaves. Give us freedom. We believe you. We accept you as Messiah. We trust all that you say. We want that freedom. We still would not have been free if he didn't at some point, six months later from this, go to a cross to purchase that freedom. So he had to be who he said he was. But in this text, he is who he says he was, and they're still not free. Why are they not free? They refuse to say, I am a sinner, and God himself has shown up to reveal himself to us. He's right here. Second, for the note takers, our sinful actions indicate that we are not free. Don't get mad at me, Jesus said so. So interesting, verse 33. Verse 32 is a coffee cup verse. We'll rip that one out of context easy and slap it on a t-shirt, that sounds great. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you look closely throughout the Gospel of John, you'll realize he doesn't mean truth as it relates to knowledge setting you free from ignorance. He's talking about himself. The truth is a person, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we will be set free? Let's do a little fact check, you know, like Facebook does. Let's do a little fact check on this group of religious types. We have never been slaves to anyone. How much are Jeopardy money are they losing right now? Verse 33, we've never been slaves to anyone. Hmm. So about that. First, you're under Roman rule right now as you speak. There's a, yeah, there's a group of soldiers right there. What, what are you, what? Well, we were free before that. Are you talking about the Maccabean Revolution where all those people died? That doesn't sound like freedom. And the Seleucids before that, Alexander the Great, it made that happen. 
Babylon before that, they were so in charge, they became a central biblical narrative of evil. They were really, really in charge. Assyria before that, well, we were free before. Oh, I see, because the Philistines kept kicking your tail all throughout the book of Judges. I just don't know. Well, we were free. David and Solomon, those guys were great. Okay, does that mean you've always been free? David was a slave to his sexual appetite. Solomon was a slave to his desire for power. Are you sure you were free? Well, no, we're, we're well, okay, see, before that, there was this guy named Pharaoh. I don't know how high school history went for you, but there was this dude. Historians think it was Ramses II. And you guys were literal slaves. You had no opportunity for will. Your group identity was that of slaves. You didn't get to go. And then, you know, the thing was, is you were stuck there for 400 years. And who got you out? Who, who got you? How did you guys escape Pharaoh? He had the biggest army, most powerful army. He had more chariots than anybody at the time. How'd you guys get out of Egypt again? How did that go? Right? This is what happens when our teenagers are spouting off. Well, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. How much rent, how much rent do you pay? Who brought you into this world? <laughs> How did Israel get out of Egypt? A murderer flees for his life from Egypt and decides to watch sheep. And he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not being destroyed. And he comes closer to investigate. And from the bush, a voice booms. Moses. Moses, take off your sandals. The ground on which you're standing is holy. Right there we see the mercy of God. Moses should not be able to come into contact with the holy without dying. But Yahweh's inviting him in. What was the name of that God? Oh, that's right. I am. You've been slaves for a long time. And whenever I am wanted to deliver you, he delivered you. And when I am warned you about the Philistines and their punishment and the Moabites because of your sin and disobedience, when he warned you about Assyria, when he warned you about Babylon, when he warned you over and over again, inviting you into closer relationship with him, saying, if you don't want closer relationship, I'm going to chasten you, I'm going to punish you like every good father to show you that the way you are choosing is disastrous. See, I am has always been there. He's always been desiring freedom for his people. And then I am shows up in John chapter eight, and he says, Real disciples, look at the start of the text. You are truly my disciples. Mind you, this is present tense. This doesn't say you're my disciples if you end up remaining. No, no. You are my disciples right now if you remain faithful to my teachings. Those who actually are faithful to my teachings, you're the actual Christ followers. Same thought. 
and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The same God who sent Moses, a broken, imperfect mouthpiece who was going to at some point hold up his hands to hold back the waters of God's wrath so people could walk through on dry land toward God's promises. I am decided, ah, I gave them my law and it didn't work. And so I sent voices who said, I'm going to write God's word on their heart. We're gonna have to do an entirely new and better covenant. And then the I am comes and instead of sending an imperfect broken mouthpiece, he sends himself. The I am came. The I am spoke to power. The I am held up his hands and held back the floodwaters of God's wrath so that the church could walk through on dry ground. Jesus wants you to be free. He wants me to be free. But our behavior shows the opposite. So let's get looking at this, 39 and 40. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth. Abraham never did such a thing. Anybody like it when you're really, really convinced of A, but then the evidence is B? That's not a fun moment, is it? It starts early. It starts with semi-sweet chocolate morsels all over the face when you're three years old, swearing up and down to mom and dad, I didn't eat the cookie. Here's my confident, bold assertion, and here's the evidence. (laughs) And it doesn't matter how old we get, we keep doing it. Unless the Holy Spirit protects us, we keep doing it. He says, no, you are not sons of Abraham. I wish I could communicate how offensive this was in this context. This is their national identity, their religious identity, their ethnic identity rolled into one, being a son of Abraham. But Jesus, being on the 30,000 foot level, all he cares about is their spiritual state. I don't care who your daddy was. Look, I want you to be in right relationship with the father. True sons of Abraham are sons by faith. And the fact that you're trying to kill me is evidence that you do not have the faith of Abraham. If you had the faith of Abraham, you'd be on your face in worship right now. Moses, broken as he was, he had the common sense to know that he was in the presence of the Almighty. And you guys don't even have that. You're spiritually dull. You're spiritually cut off. Why? You're slaves to Satan. You're slaves to sin, and you don't even know it. And if Jesus wanted the Pharisees to go to hell, he would have just walked away. He's not raging at the Pharisees on Twitter right now. He is face to face with them, pleading them to see the light. You're not sons of Abraham yet. You're still trying to kill God. You're just like your forefathers who killed the prophets. You've got to change. This isn't working. You are a slave to your natural rebellion against God. Don't do this. Is this guy free? I have one vote for no. He could fall and die. Okay. More specific, he is already falling. He could die. 
Any other votes? Is he free? I have one vote for another vote for no. Would it be fair to say that we don't have enough information to answer the question? You see, if that thing on his back has his school books and a ruler and a pencil and a T83 calculator, like, he could be on his way to a very fast yet knowledgeable end. If what's on his back has his dirty laundry, this could end very poorly. It's all very thrilling until you pull the cord and nothing happens. In fact, if there's nothing in that backpack, he might as well not have all of those gnarly straps all over him. Think of how much more free you would feel falling at terminal velocity in a nice, one size larger than necessary Tommy Bahama shirt. I can promise, Tommy Bahama, that's way more comfortable than all those straps. But you see, these straps, the straps and constraints of religion are actually a vessel of death if they're tying you to something that can't save you. If those straps are tied to something that just holds dirty laundry, those constraints of religion, he was such a good boy his whole life. He worked so hard, he gave so much money, he went to Sunday school, and it didn't save him because all of those restraints were not tying him to a savior, a real savior. Let me ask you the opposite question. If that parachute is in there and it is perfectly folded and there will be no problems, does he feel constrained by those straps? If you're exploring faith, one of your hangups might be the Christian ethic. Christian ethics about money and sex and relationships and authority put all of these parameters around the Christian and sometimes it might confuse you. Why is the Christian not upset? The Christian seems to be overflowed with joy, but there's all these things they can't do. They can't do this. They can't, you can't, can't drink, can't chew, can't run with girls that do. I, I grew up Baptist in the 80s. That was our thing. Okay. It is so easy to look at Christians and just see this long list of things you can't do. But the Christian, constrained by straps, though he or she may be, if you are strapped to a savior that is strong and effective and saves, you don't feel trapped at all. In fact, the Christian doesn't have to freak out at the chaos of the world. The Christian is expecting the chaos. This guy right now, I promise, he's having fun. You, you don't do this expecting to die. You expect to have fun. His friend brought a camera, obviously. He's having fun. And it is one of the greatest apologetics in 2020 for Christians to get back in touch with our joy while everything else is going to hell around us. Yes, it's bad. I'm not denying it's bad. You just ought to know the Savior I have. Oh, you should know him. You see, he wants me to be free in the midst of this chaos. He wants me to be free. He wants you to be free. I'm glad we got talking about the chaos. I have a savior in the midst of the chaos. His name is Jesus. So these are in my notes and I'm just gonna read them to you and some of you guys might get upset and that's okay. 
Holy Spirit, if this stuff is from you, then make it land on hearts heavily. And if it's just my opinion, let it fall flat. Let it go away. In Jesus' name I ask this. You think that porn saves you. Could you stop looking at it if you tried? No, it sounds to me like you serve porn. Jesus wants you to be free. You think obtaining more wealth serves you. The last time you got a raise or a higher paying job, were you satisfied? It sounds like you serve the pursuit of wealth. Jesus wants you to be free. You think that Netflix serves you. But did you find the last amazing episode that filled your heart so you could finally turn off the TV, go outside, breathe fresh air, and get back to your life? Did you discover that episode that let you do that? No, it sounds like you serve Netflix. Jesus wants you to be free. You think buying new things serves you. So did you ever find that thing that gave you lasting satisfaction? It gave you peace down on a soul level? No, that didn't happen. It sounds like you serve the acquisition of stuff. Jesus wants you to be free. You think your substance, legal or otherwise of choice, saves you and serves you. But were your problems still there, staring at you awkwardly when you came down off your high? It sounds to me like you serve your substance of choice. Jesus wants you to be free. You insist that you are a son, but you're dressed like a slave. You eat in the kitchen and you sleep in the the slave quarters. I just don't think you're free. You keep saying that you're a son, but you're dressed like a slave. You're treated like a slave. Sin uses and abuses people. It always promises satisfaction and it never delivers for very long, does it? It offers identity, but never truly gives it. It offers us meaning, but it never gives it. And Jesus is trying to say, you guys are slaves. But not those who love me, who serve me, who follow me. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Last. Freedom from sin is the natural consequence of following Jesus. You don't even have to ask for it. You know what's crazy? Whether you've been a Christian for a year, you've been a Christian for 40 years, we fight and fight and fight with sin because the new self and the old self are at war, and this fight won't truly be over until the Lord takes us home. And we tend to think that our old slave master still has rights over us. And he doesn't. We tend to think, oh, I need freedom from this. And you know what? I say it too. If you're a Christian who says, I need freedom from this, you know, technically you're not correct when you say that. You left the plantation eight years ago. 
Again, back to Shawshank Redemption, for those of you who were here that day. The gentleman who had been incarcerated for some 40 years, he still, he got, he's free. He got, to, he got this job as a grocer, and he kept asking his boss's permission to use the restroom, no matter how many times his boss said, you don't need to ask, just go use the restroom, it's fine. He'd been conditioned for what he was allowed to do and what he was not allowed to do. Brothers and sisters, some of us, we think that we have to ask permission to do what's right and holy and just, and we don't. We think we have to check with somebody else or something else, a chemical, a substance, a behavior, and Jesus says, no, you're already free. You know the truth, the truth has set you free. That lid of the jar is gone. Now jump. You are not a slave anymore. There's absolutely nothing, if you love Jesus Christ, if he has transformed your heart, there is nothing that forces you to sin. Ever. There's nothing. Because you're free. And I'm free. If you're still investigating what you think of Jesus, I'm gonna plead with you as I plead with you always. Band, would you come up here and help us respond to Jesus? I'm gonna plead with you if you're investigating faith. Jesus was about as clear today as possible, and I hope that I was clear of what Jesus really offers all of us. As Americans, we think what we know what freedom is. We think, oh yeah, no one's telling me what to do, and yet we have sins lurking in our heart that are always trying to be the boss, stay the boss. And Jesus says, no, you're a slave and that's gonna kill you. You don't have to be a part of that anymore. There's greatest joy, greatest life, greatest peace in following me. Follow me. This is why Eminem was right 15 years ago. This is a story all about me, so everybody just follow me. Except a mere mortal should never say that about himself. It was true of Jesus. This is a story all about me. So everybody, follow me, okay? I wanna invite you during this response time, stand and sing if you want. Pray where you are if you want. Write something in the side of your notes that God is saying to you if you want. Share with your neighbor what God said to you today. Maybe make a note in your phone, I wanna share this with my disciple group later this week. The only way to honor and love God, if you say that you love him, is truly to listen. And sometimes we don't know if we've listened until we respond. So if you're not sure yet even, maybe you need to stop and pray or pray as we sing. God, what did you have for me today? What was the takeaway? How can I obey you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if you've never loved Jesus before, I'm gonna ask you to, to come and talk to me, either right now if you want, later today. Text me, email me. It is my joy to help you wrestle with the Christian faith of who Jesus is. It's my joy. It's my privilege. If you're already in a disciple group, talk to your disciple group's teaching leader. All right? All right, let's sing.
No turning back The cross before me The world behind me No turning back No turning back Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you that you are all that we need. Lord, and as we go out into our lives this week, Lord, we just pray that you that you um, be with us each step, God, and allow us to be your light to, to those around us. Lord, we thank you so much, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.